Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In quite a few of our recent podcasts, Gary and I have been talking about the kingdom of God. We discuss the kingdom in relation to the subject of the gospel message, saying that Yeshua's gospel message was not about his own death, burial, and resurrection, but rather it was repent, for the kingdom is near. We talked about how Yeshua taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about how we, as 21st century Western-minded Americans, have no real concept of kings and kingdoms and how they operate because it's so far from our experience in a representative republic where the will of the people is paramount. Most recently, we talked about the phrase, the government will be upon his shoulders, how this prophecy of Isaiah is describing a future world theocracy with Yeshua as the king, ruling from Jerusalem, along with the resurrected saints. But in all of my reading and research about what the Bible says about the future kingdom, I really had to face off with the belief that seems to be at odds with one of Christianity's most beloved theological paradigms the belief that when believers die, we go to heaven. At first, I didn't see the problem, but the more time I spent with this topic of kingdom, I just couldn't seem to fit what I increasingly came to see as a square peg in a round hole. Something wasn't working. Today, I'd like to share the challenge that I'm facing in my theology. Perhaps it's one you're facing too. Maybe it's not, at least not yet. But I do believe that it's a topic worthy of discussion and study, even if we might not all agree on the outcome of our study. So here's the question. If I go to heaven when I die, what's the point of the resurrection? After this, let's talk about heaven and resurrection, and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, Almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Hello, Gary. Hey, Kathy. <laughs> you, so, <laughs> you love to stir the pot, don't I you? guess I do. I guess I do. I'm just going to let everybody know. Gary and I are, are recently dealing with uh, what bronchial issues and cough issues, and yeah. I've got a, a whole an allergy issue, so um, you, you, we might sound a little more nasally today, right? <laughs> <laughs> we will get through. But we will get through. Exactly. We've done it before. We can do it yeah. again, right? You know, You're right, Gary. I think a lot of people might be getting to think that I just kind of relish the idea of challenging some of Christianity's most cherished beliefs. Well, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it's so easy to do. Um, We've got we've got uh, we've got our challenges cut out for us because of the, the Constantinian church 
and all the baggage that came with it. So, right. so it's ripe for the picking. I, I have to admit, I don't dislike it, though. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with the challenge. Well, I think it's it's up to us to yeah. do. I, you know, I think we've been we've been challenged by it. You know, because we love truth. Exactly. That's where it comes from. Exactly. You know, and the reality is that as we come to understand understand our faith from a Hebraic perspective, many of our cherished. I call them orthodox beliefs are challenged, okay? We call it paradigm shifting. That's a nice word for Mm -hmm. it. And we've talked about it in almost every one of our podcasts. Particularly, we talked about it in the one called Our Lizard Brains, which was one of my favorite. And we admitted that paradigm shifting can be extremely painful. We know. Oh, of course. Absolutely. You know, we mentioned in that uh, particular podcast, Our Lizard Brains, that Jordan Peterson said that when we don't regularly practice paradigm shifting, Um, that when we're forced to shift a beloved paradigm, we can experience something he described as bloody trauma, right? (laughs) And boy, and he's so right about that. You know, he was saying it in um, relation to um, Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. learning that he wasn't actually God and what, and Literally, he experienced bloody trauma. That was changing a paradigm. Yeah, 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 I know he used it uh, as you know, analogous, but that in that case. True, 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 bloody, bloody trauma. trauma. I mean, horrific. Yes. And and yet, so in, in emotionally and in and psychologically, we experience that at times. I mean, we think about some of the traditions that we grew up with, how much fun we had with them. And then you purge them, and it's like, yeah, it's like you know, cutting off an appendage. Sometimes. Exactly, and that's yeah. it's 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 painful, and 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 maybe some less painful than others. You know, when we were learning. When both of us learned about the idea of being grafted into the olive tree of Israel, it was a paradigm shift. Right. Not as bloody trauma, I don't think per one, se, but no, not for one, us. No, not that for was us. very exciting might, to me. It might, that was exciting for me too. Yeah. Maybe for some people that one is a problem. I don't know. It, well, it could be, especially if if you are inherently um, anti-Semitic. Right, absolutely. Then that one's going to be bloody trauma. Yes. For me, it was like, wow, I'm really a part of something cool here. I, exactly. It was, it was a different experience. Exactly. Now, I think about the one about uh, once saved, always saved. And, um, you know, it's very comforting, you know. And yeah. when I started to question that, I was like, huh, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if the Bible supports that. And and that wasn't as comfortable, you know, right. in that one. Yeah, um, yeah, that one, that one, I guess, is a challenge in that, you know. I mean, there's a kind of a comfort in that, obviously, but it's... It's not real. That doesn't make it real. It doesn't make it real. Mm, that's and right. that, that brings us to the point that, you know, we have often make, you know, and Kathy, you've heard me ask this question, and I've asked, literally asked this to, to individuals I know. So if, if you were to discover that everything you ever knew about your faith was a lie, wouldn't you want to know? And I, you know, I would hope the answer would be yes. But see, that that's a scary question because it sounds like we're questioning... The, you know, our belief in God or, or the Messiah Yeshua. That's not what I'm saying there. I'm saying the traditions and the religion that it's attached with that faith, if that were all somehow uh, misguided, to say the least. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I believe that there were nefarious reasons why some of the things that, that, that happened, and if, at the very least, not very godly, okay? There were, there were reasons to, to, to change 
uh, theology or thinking in order to to unify a kingdom to you to create a religion that would unify that kingdom and you're talking about back in 300 AD exactly I'm talking about Constantine, Constantinian yes, religion yes, yes because you know again and I, I don't know how, how, uh, how long our audience might be have been with us I've told this story before about an Orthodox individual in in Israel I had purposely asked him in front of my tour group, when did the church begin? You know, them with them expecting, of course, you know, sometimes maybe they, they will, in church thinking, they think Pentecost. Or right, with which is why the church thinks. Yeah, yeah. But he said 325 AD. Mm. And that is, that is really accurate in the sense that the movement that Yeshua started is not what was codified in 325 AD. It was, it was a completely different religion, separated, as we often say, it, it was born in divorce of our Hebraic root, mm. Therefore, there were reasons for these changes, because it could, the Jewish people were a thorn in the side of this new religion. It, they, were, they were saying, wait a minute, you're wrong. And they're saying, no, we've got to make this right, right in the eyes of our people. We have to syncretism. We have to have all of our pagan friends join us. Right. And they were already this, doing other things were, yeah, that was yeah. easier for them just to continue doing. Right. You know, so if you say, OK, let's do it in the name of Christ. That's yeah. a lot easier. Right. You know? So all, all that to say that yeah, this is easy to pick apart if you know what you're looking for. And right. that's what we're trying to do is just peel away those layers of lies. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the latest beliefs that I've been wrestling with is this very popular idea that when we die, we go immediately to heaven. At least those of us who have a saving relationship with Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Not necessarily everybody. So there's a lot of comfort. Yeah. And that idea. Oh, absolutely. You know, so who hasn't gone to a funeral of a believer where someone hasn't said they're in a better place now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Aunt Betty is now with Uncle Joe in heaven. It's very comforting. And it's we see art. Issue. I see art of, you know, the minute you die and it's, um, uh, it shows, you know, like a, a, a child up in heaven being hugged by a grandparent right. or something like that. Right beautiful idea. It's a beautiful thought. And it does, as you said, brings a lot of comfort to us in a time when we're grieving or mourning. Exactly. A loss of a loved exactly. One. Once again, that doesn't necessarily make it true, right? No, it, <laughs> you know, know, unfortunately, it, it does doesn't. Not. So, you know, at first, I think we always have to ask, why do we believe something, right? Mm -hmm. You know, why do we believe that particular belief? And if we're all really honest, most of us will have to say, because somebody told me that. Yeah. Right? And probably lots of somebody's, okay? So it's just that, you know, that's what everybody always says. You know, and for me, that was certainly the case. And I bet that's true for most everybody in our audience. Actually, for most of our beliefs. <laughs> right? Well, of course. You know, we, you, they, you know, we have to have teachers. And we, somebody, oh, somewhere along the way, somebody got our attention. In right. my case, a loved one. And said, talk, started talking about you know, this in their, in their words and in Christian words, born again experience. And, you know, it caught my interest. Right. Of course we exactly. need Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and so this idea here, particularly the one we're talking about today, it is a comforting idea. It's an easy one to accept. Um, and it brings some peace, you know, um, but, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Right. So, so here's the deal with me, and I think I, I can speak for you, Gary. It's just not enough anymore for me to say, 
well, that's what everybody believes, right? you know, or that's what I've always been told, or even that's what the church has always taught. Everyone believing in something does not by definition make it true, no matter how sincerely held this belief is. Um, sheer numbers doesn't prove it, and enthusiasm doesn't improve truth. No, it's true. And if you think about Yeshua's word, he said, broad is the way to destruction. And, you know, and, and then that, that narrow way, few find it. So, you know, it's me. Now I'm getting a little skeptical when everybody believes something, well, exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that should get our attention. It's You're like, right. is this real? Is it, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that idea that uh, if we really, really believe it. I, I have a deep emotional tie to it. It must be true. I really question that now, too, because mm. our emotions, our heart kind of... Um, can get in the way. Uh, they, they can. I, I think we, we've been discussing other topics that, you know, we find that they can be a holy grail to a Christian. Right. And it's like, do not go there, or they just, you know, it can cause real problems. It can cause real problems. You know, so when I started learning more and more about God's kingdom, I really started to have questions. The church historically just hasn't taught about God's kingdom coming to earth, and we've talked mm. about that in previous podcasts. But instead, we have emphasized we all go to heaven. But like we talked about in our last last podcast, the government shall be upon his shoulders. All of Yeshua's disciples and early first century Christians, including Paul, were looking forward to God establishing his kingdom on earth. Yes. And and no, nowhere is it more clear than in the book of Acts, Kathy. I mean, I, I really I emphasize this when I think about the fact that Yeshua had very limited time to to really open up the eyes and, and open up the scriptures to his disciples. And that last 40 days that he was with them after his resurrection had to be the most important. This is time. it, guys. This is it. <laughs> yeah. And because I'm leaving you and you have got to have this right. And they asked him on the Mount of Olives before he ascended. They didn't. I don't believe they they knew he was going to ascend unless no. it somehow somehow had, had given them a hint. But I, it doesn't say that. But he's about to ascend. So and they and they ask him this, this very important question: Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And. You know, if that was a foolish question, now's your time, Yeshua. You know, clear it up because they're going to go out to the world and teach a message. They better have it right. He never said, oh, you foolish students. I've spent all this time with you and you still don't have it right. He didn't say that. He simply said, it's not the time for you to know. It's, it's, not, it's, gonna, it's gonna happen one day, but it's not for you to know. He, I, I think he did not want them emphasizing that as as their goal like it was going to happen imminently because uh you know or immediately because it, it obviously didn't right it's been 2000 years and right. counting right but he did not say it was a foolish statement or a foolish question because it is going to happen right he is going to come and restore his kingdom to the earth to we, Israel to Israel right that will be the heart that will be the the center you know the epicenter of his of his kingdom is Israel, Jerusalem to be exact. And so, you know, it's, it was not a stupid question, but... No, I don't, it, it wasn't. And unfortunately, it has been interpreted that way as a stupid question. And we've talked about that in other podcasts, how commentators on that very uh, section of Acts have literally said, oh, you foolish 
uh, disciples. Yeah. You don't know this yet. After three and a half years, they still didn't get it right. And we laughed and said, well, that means Yeshua is not a very good teacher. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, he, <laughs> you know? he, he's, he's horrible exactly. as a teacher. And he gave and he, and he blew his last chance to exactly. clear it up. Exactly. <laughs> so so with, with, that, with that said, it seems to me that Yeshua was not going to correct them because they were not wrong. They just didn't know. They weren't to know the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the other the other thing they were looking forward to was the promise that they would rule with Yeshua in this kingdom on earth, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. It's a I huge mean, deal. My goodness. I mean, you know? to think that they were they were going to rule with Yeshua on earth. I, I mean, if if you and I were in that <laughs> with them, I mean, wouldn't that just I mean, I, I think I can't I would, hardly comprehend it, but I know that's the promise. It right? is the promise, but it's like, you know, it's mind boggling. And I think I would be horrified in yeah. some sense. <laughs> it's like, how am I going to, you know, how do I, how do I rate? Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, but from the very beginning, God promised Adam and Eve dominion over the whole earth. In fact, you know, this is Torah talk. Let's turn to the Torah. <laughs> Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now let's let's break this down. Let's, let's kind of... Uh, Pull the you know, drill down on that word rule. It means to 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 subdue or take dominion. Mm-hmm. It's the Hebrew word radah, and it's used in reference to the Messiah, to mm-hmm. kings and priests. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's huge right. because we are told, and you shall be to me kingdoms and priests. I mean, this Exodus Exodus nineteen six, of course, God talking to Israel. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we've become part of Israel. You shall, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, priests are God's representatives on the earth, and they have great authority. And I, I just want to share something here. A few weeks ago, I was in a, in a conference with a, a member of the, the Jewish agency. She mm-hmm. came from Israel, and she visited with us in South Florida. And she was using a term that I loved, and it's very appropriate right here. It's sheliach. Sheliach is the Hebrew, and it means emissary. Emissary, yes. Okay, I've and heard she, that. And at one point during the during her uh, uh, talk to us, we were all grouped together regarding the Aliyah. She she went from using emissary to apostle, and I thought, oh my goodness! Wow. Does that does, will that shake up the Christian world? Mm. If you when you think about this, the an emissary. Someone sent out with the authority in the name of, you know, whatever that authority is. is right. And, you know, so when we talk about apostles today and, and we talk about, you know, who we, we have. I'm not I'm not going to dwell on this, but just I'll ask the audience when you hear the word apostle in the context of somebody calling themselves an apostle today, what is your thought process? Think about what you think of that person. And now think about Sheliach, an emissary of the king. Oh, yes. Okay, and I'll leave it at that. Yes, that's, I'll leave it good, at that. That's good stuff. You know, the, it's, it, this idea of ruling, Radah, exists in Torah. It also exists in the prophets, in particular Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. And in Daniel uh, 7, it speaks about the Son of Man being given authority and also 
about the holy people being given authority. So it, it says in chapter 7, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and this kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But if you move down, that was verse uh, 13, 14. If you move to verse 27, it says, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. That's interesting because now we have that idea. Hey, look, the apostles knew Daniel, right? right. They knew Daniel. Right. And so there was that promise. And so it, it, it existed in Torah. It existed in the prophets. So naturally, the New Testament writers would pick up on that. They knew it, of right? Course, you know, of they, course. They knew it. So I'm going to read another verse. And but before I do, I'm going to just mention this term. It's a biblical term. You see it a lot. The world to come or the age to come. And in, in all of the cases, this phrase actually refers to the millennial reign of Yeshua on earth, that thousand year reign of right. Yeshua on earth right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at Hebrews 2, it says, it is not to angels that he is subjected the world or the age to come. That's the millennial reign uh, about which we're speaking. But there's a place where someone is testified, and now it's quoting, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So what... What's, what's interesting there is it is talking about giving this glory and honor, it appears, to mankind. I, I've always felt that. This, that's my favorite psalm, actually. Oh, um, okay. Kathy, there you I go. don't know if you knew that. But I didn't know that. Because yeah, I, I just envision David on a hillside, maybe somewhere in Judea, and he's looking at the stars in the heaven because he says, you know, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, I mean, he's he's looking into the awesomeness of God and thinking, who are we? Right. Who am I that you would give us this authority and this power? But he knows the word of God. And he knows that you know, here, this man, is he actually becomes king over Israel. So he he, he got David, to, David David yeah, David right. he he penned this psalm right. so now you you now you have this understanding of how a God given authority with with a man on earth and he's marveling even at this point before becoming that king how how God would even you know consider cons doing yeah, exactly. that why would he consider why were you mindful of man he didn't have to do that God didn't have to do that exactly and and he and he chooses to do that and. I imagine David was in awe, and I'm in awe, and I think that's that same idea that you just expressed. You're like, whoa, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think I think you, I think you've got it right when you're saying, yeah, this is about the the idea of mankind yeah. actually becoming that, you know, having that kind of authority. It's it, it's it's amazing, and the disciples were just as amazed about it as right. we were, right? Absolutely. And and even in Second Timothy two twelve, it says, if we died with him. We will also live with him. Okay, talking about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. If we endure, we will also reign 
with him, which would have been, uh, although written in Greek, go back to the Radah, okay, you know, uh, of the Old Testament. Um, Revelation 5.10, with your blood, you purchased men from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Once again, that harkens back to that Exodus language, right? Yeah. A kingdom of priests. Yeah, Kathy, right? I think you do. You've done a marvelous job of pulling out all of these these. Well, these you know what, what we always say: New Testament, you know, mostly commentary on the Old Testament, Absolutely. right? It is. Yes. <laughs> In Revelation twenty-four, and this is where it's talking about that once again the millennial reign of Yeshua. I love this. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Blessed and holy are those who are part of the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So there's that authority. There's that and, authority and, and again. The thousand year reign and they're all earth. all here together in one place. It's talking about the resurrection. Okay, so the second death, you know, so you don't experience the second death in the lake of fire. So so it's all almost right here in one little yeah. verse, actually. Yeah. And then there's something, you know. Even the writings, and we talked about David quoting, I mean, um, uh, Hebrews, Paul quoting David, but in Psalm 115, it says, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Yeah. There, there once again, uh, it, it is so many promises and so many references to that this is our eternal home. It's just, it's a fallen world right, right now. Right, right. It has to be regenerated. It has to be restored. Right, the you know, restoration. The, the restoration yes, of all, all things. things. <laughs> yes, we, you know, we, again, one of our favorite uh, verses. <laughs> right. Because that's what we look forward to. That, that relationship that God had with his, with his creation in the garden is, I believe, the ultimate goal, right back, you know, the end from the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. You know, let's, let's turn to Yeshua's own words. Always a good idea. Always a good idea, right? <laughs> because, I mean, he spoke with all authority from, from heaven, from his Father. Um, so I'm going to read from Matthew 19, verse 28 and 29. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's that promise that, they, that the disciples knew. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know, there's that, there's that dividing so this is what the disciples about. knew. Yeah. They knew this promise. They believed it. Yeah. So they're just asking, when you, we talked about earlier, so they're, when? 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 Yeah. That's they, all. They, they left everything. They gave up everything for him. So they and understood they it was understood talking about them. The promise. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, there's the parables. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a parable where you, you, Jesus, his servants are between the time of his departure to heaven and his second coming. And they, they're to take whatever resources they have, Yeshua, the ones that Yeshua gave them, and multiply them. According to the parable, those who go out and get the most bang for their buck, so to speak, <laughs> they, they get the, the charge of 10 cities. And some take a charge of five cities. And notice their reward is dominion over a geographical area. 
isn't that wild? We just don't think in those terms. It's just too practical. It's too practical. Yeah, exactly. We might think money, <laughs> but usually we think very spiritual. We always. Yes, yeah, so spir- we get to go to heaven. I think that is one of the biggest problems we have in Christianity is over-spiritualizing. Yes, everything. yes. The word is so practical. And it's so real and it's so near to us. Christianity think that Christians and all Christianity think that heaven is the de- destiny or the destination of all the children of God. Even though Jesus said what? The meek shall inherit the earth. The earth. The earth. So what do we have to do? We have to spiritualize that, I guess, and call that they, they inherit heaven. It, that's exactly what happens. Uh, is it has to be spiritualized to, to get to. to this heaven idea. Because that's not what he said. That's not he, what he said. the earth. Oh, All these years, the church has been teaching that we just escape to heaven when we die. And I don't know why. We we're going to sing in a choir somewhere. Oh, I think so. I guess, Even though I don't sing well, but you no, know, maybe. I don't sing either. So that'd be a real miracle, I guess. But sounds sounds a bit monotonous and boring if that's all we're that's doing all we're forever, doing, forever, right? forever and ever. But anyway, um, but I, I think we're, we're missing the point. This should be a time when we prepare for the future role of the kingdom, and that that's where to be leaders. This is this is what we're here for to obey his instructions now so that we know what and learn to, do to be later. leaders. Yeah. And learn to be yeah. leaders. You know, I as I was um I once again, I, I've told you before, my husband thinks that I single-handedly support the book industry. So I do read a lot. I really Probably. value uh, reading and uh, using scholarship of other people. Mm-hmm. I don't have to reinvent the wheel, Gary. Every right. single time I look into a topic, um, it's um, it's wisdom you know, mm-hmm. and scholarship. I, I value that a lot. And I always want to check it and double check it, and I do do that. So when when um, someone in the book is saying something and saying Matthew da 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 Jesus said this, I always look back and I go, okay, is this what Jesus said? And right. was the context correct? Yeah, you know, for that. But I don't have to start from the beginning every single time. No, there, I mean, we, they, we, there are good teachers. Yes, absolutely. And we've all that. found some of yeah, those, right? Yeah. But so I'm reading a book, and um, the intriguing title are Fathers Who Aren't in Heaven, mm-hmm. and. It had a quote, and it uh, said, It is a defection from the church's highest calling to be the Messianic Fellowship in training now with the hope of fuller service to humanity in the age to come, okay, the Mm. millennial kingdom. So let's think about this Messianic Fellowship in training. I found that to be a really intriguing concept. It is. And so he's saying that, this is our time on earth where we're preparing for leadership in the future. And and how would you prepare to be in charge and be rulers in the kingdom? First, you have to know the rules of the kingdom. There you go. I, right? th- that, that is the key. A moment ago, I said we, we always spiritualize everything, but it's so practical. It's so real. It's, God has given us instruction. If we're doing them now, if we're obeying them now, that's practice for the millennial reign. That's right. Listen, I mean, again, it, we, we, we romanticize everything and we, make, we spiritualize everything. The kingdom is on earth and God needs order. Remember, I love the fact that you pointed out that you know, God so loved his order. Order, yeah, John 316. I love that yeah. because that's what he's bringing back. And, and And we have evidence of that throughout the scripture. You know, I'll, For example, 
Um, Zechariah 14, verse 16, we t we, it talks about the nations coming up and worshiping the king it, you know, during the time of Feast of Tabernacles, right? And if they don't do it, what happens? No rain in their nations. So that one, not only is that real and practical on the earth, that's not heaven, that's on the earth. No. That's no, no rain on your, in your nation. So somehow the, the earth continues on in a very similar form, and there's, there's blessings and curses based on your obedience to go worship the king in Jerusalem. Now, why, why would that be there if, if, that, if, if that was heaven? Right. When, what, and, and why does Yeshua, why are we told in Psalm 2 and, and Revelation 2 repeats it about Yeshua ruling with a rod of iron? Why does he have to rule? What, what, is, what does What's he have he, to keep the right. order of his right. Father on right. the earth? Right. I, I don't know, Gary. You know, um, and, and it always, always seems to come back to Torah. Yeah. Um, this is coming back to Torah, you know. If, you know, the church now, if it's practicing, if it's engaging in the, or this concept of Messianic fellowship and training, and we're having to learn the rules, we're learning and practicing Torah, and the Constantinian church says no. Don't do that. Exactly. You know, they've, they've done away with. They've done away with that. It's obsolete. You don't have to do that. So now we're missing out on this time of training for all of these, you know, millions of believers or whatever, because they've been told no. That's who, obsolete. Who does that sound like? I mean, deception, right? I yeah. mean, if you if you got if you want to deceive the followers of, of the, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is given instruction on how to behave as a child of his, what's the best way to deceive them? Tell, tell them, oh, no, 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 no you no, don't no, have no. to obey those rules. Did God really say that? Did he right. Really <laughs> sound like familiar? Eve, Does right. it sound familiar? Right. Yeah. It's the same deception. Yes. Nothing new under the sun. Right. You yes. Oh, you don't really have to do That's that. That's right. You know, so... So there's that, okay? Mm -hmm. So that that impacted me. That idea really impacted me. But then there's another problem that came up for me. And, you know, we all talk about Yeshua's resurrection as being a big deal. And, mm -hmm. of course, it is. Of course. You know? Um, but let's remember what Paul says. You know, it says that Yeshua is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning he's the first to be resurrected. So in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all may be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then as at his coming, okay, when he comes back, those who belong to him. That's right. So we are to be looking forward to a bodily resurrection. Amen. The resurrection of our bodies, right? Amen. Big deal. Big deal. You sure showed us the way in, in every in way. In everything. But we've all been taught that when we die, our bodies become disconnected from our souls or our spirits. Our bodies go into the ground and our souls or our spirits go to heaven. So then what happens? We're all up in heaven as some kind of spiritual beings having a great time, singing in the choir, and we've learned how to sing, right? <laughs> Miraculously. Enjoying all of our loved ones, hanging out with Jesus, right? Yep. They're always talking about we're face-to-face -face with Jesus there. Yep. So then one day, Jesus decides, okay, it's time for me to go back. And you, wait, you all, you go with him. You say, okay, we're going to leave heaven. We're going to go pick up our resurrected bodies and then go back to earth and hang out. 
I don't know. That that seems weird to me when I when I really thought through it to the very logical end. Right. What's the point of the new bodies if we're all spirits in heaven without the need for bodies? We've already gone past that, right? And while we're in heaven, are we just looking forward to the time we get to go back to earth? I'd, it seems backwards to me. It does. You and know, when you put it that way, it just, it just seems so clear. I, I mean, you know, so, but I just never thought about how many times have we gotten to that place, Gary? I just never thought about that before. Yeah. It's because you know, we've always, that's all you've ever heard. Right. Because somebody's yeah. always told us that heard. and you never think, okay, what's the logical endpoint of this, right? right. <laughs> Where does this logically lead? It goes lead? back to that we've all inherited lies of our exactly. fathers. Exactly. And, and, you know, again, I, I don't think our, our personal fathers, mothers, grandfathers were intentionally, whatever, were intentionally lying. lying. It's just that they inherited this teaching over right. the course of 1,700 years. Right. Exactly. So you got to ask, okay, where do these ideas come from? That's mm. where, that's my questions always. It's a good, if good I question. believe something, why do I believe it? Right. Where does it come from? And guess what? Surprise. Um, it was once again, a Greek influence that started to dominate Christian theology. Not long after all the apostles had died, you know, right. the apostolic age. Mm-hmm. It was once again, Gary, that separation of Christianity from its Jewish roots. Yeah. It's it's the cause of all of all our ills. All of this, all of this. <laughs> you know, this idea of a disembodied soul, that when we die, our soul lives on separate from our body and goes to heaven, that comes from outside the Bible. Mm-hmm. The idea of the soul, now I had to do some research on this because I really hadn't looked into this, okay? I just thought I believed it, mm-hmm. but I never asked why. But that idea of the soul living on in heaven can be traced all the way back to Egypt. And according to accounts by the Greek historian Herodotus, I think I'm saying that right, Sounds the good. idea of the transmigrating soul, okay, that can, can move around, <laughs> originated in Egypt, but was carried over through time into Greek philosophy and then into Christianity. So according to the Egyptians, the soul was immortal, and at the moment of death of the body, the soul would take this incredible journey back into the spirit or divine world from which it came. It, it thus lived on after a person died. Mm. Now, does that sound familiar? Oh, yes, very much so. Absolutely. So in my research for this found podcast, I found, you know what, this idea of a disembodied soul has not really been the view of everybody along the way. You know, you get to a point 2,000 plus years later, and you think everybody's always thought this way. But that's not the case. That's where your research comes in. Exactly. So that's why um, William Tyndall, okay, Tyndall Bible, Mm -hmm. all right, burned at the stake, I believe, right, for some of his beliefs. Okay, so he wrote in a book that I actually got, supporting the book industry, an answer to Sir Thomas More's dialogue. Tyndall disputed the Catholic, Thomas More was a Catholic, Mm. and his claim was about souls existing in purgatory, okay? We all those Catholics know purgatory Mm. is that kind of intermediate state that Catholics claim the soul of those who die in grace go to purify themselves from their sin, Okay, that's a very Catholic belief, right? Um, Now, it doesn't mean, so the Protestants don't necessarily believe it, but 
It's just like a lot of other things. The Protestants reject some of what came out of Orthodox Catholicism, yeah. but not all of it. Yeah, not, right? not enough purging went on. Not right? enough yeah. purging, right? Not the, the Reformation wasn't was wasn't completely. Everything wasn't reformed. Yeah, it was very it came well short of that. Well short. Mm-hmm. So there was this idea, and you guys have heard it, I'm sure, um, the idea of praying to Mary for the souls of your faithfully departed, you know, to to be able to get out of purgatory and right. okay, eventually get to heaven. So any. Anyway, Tyndall, William Tyndall disagreed with this Roman Catholic belief, and he said, um, quote, what cause is there of the resurrection if the souls be in heaven? In putting departed souls in heaven, you, the Roman Catholics, destroy the arguments by which Christ and Paul prove the resurrection. Right. Wow. Okay, so um, I was like, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I just thought everybody believed this. Right, but, well, but, because he came up against the power. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church held all the power at the time, and um, this, this is not going to go over well for him. No, and, it and, didn't go over well and, for him. And, and, but, um, you, you know, again, that influence of the Catholic Church that, that permeated throughout the, you know, the Protestant world, um, it's 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 still here. It's, it's still, still here. Us. I mean, yeah. Sunday worship is is a, uh, a Catholic yes. thing, right? So you know, Satan, so clever. Remember when he said to Eve, um, "Surely you will not die." Okay, this is mm-hmm. if she disobeyed. Okay, right. so we know disobedience leads to death. So what does Satan do? He convinces Christians that we don't really die. Well, not as a whole conscious personality or being, our souls live forever. If we're still alive, what's the point of needing the gift of a new body? We don't need to be brought back to life because we never really fully died. Our souls lived in heaven. The resurrection of the body becomes like an afterthought, you know, if even that, like, why do I even... Uh, yeah, you know, we, we have this we have this beautiful resurrection. We have this demonstration of what that's all about. But then we we have this belief, and I and I you hear it at every every funeral and mm-hmm. every time every time anyone addresses this topic, is that no, you just die and go to heaven. Boom. And, okay, so let's right. Why why do you need that? I mean, that's great. Okay, that that's good. But but the the body the Bible says, wait, wait, wait. We're we're coming back. Our bodies are getting resurrected. What's going on here? We're going back and forth. What's going yeah, on? It, 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 <laughs> if you when you start drilling down, it becomes confusing. We really need to go back to the Word of God, and that's always the answer. I mean, the Bible teaches us that we come from dust. We become animated beings by the breath of life. And when we die, we return to dust. Let's read it. Genesis 3, 19. By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of the dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The hope for human beings had to to look forward to the resurrection Mm. at the end of the age and the Messiah returns. In, in, in order to usher in this new age. That was our hope. That was the hope. That was the big deal that the disciples were looking forward they to. They knew what to look forward That's to. That's right. And, and you know, we spoke of Daniel earlier, mm-hmm. and I think this is, this is a very powerful passage, Daniel 12, 1 and 2. And you can confirm it once again in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, repeats the very much, very close to the same words. It says this in Daniel 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at the time your people shall be delivered, 
everyone who is found written in the book, and many, here it is, and many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, but others to shame and everlasting contempt. Mm. Now, I have to ask that question here, because again, this is repeated in Revelation. If everybody who is, is, belongs to, to God, who is in the Messiah, dies and goes to heaven, then who are these that are going to come to out of the dust of the earth and go to everlasting, everlasting life? Who is who that? Who is that? If, there if shouldn't be anybody it rocks, there. <laughs> it rocks that that uh, evangelical theology that you just you die, you go to heaven, right. that's it. it. That there's something wrong here, and that they're the only ones there. Right. Right. This says there's they're coming to everlasting life. Those who are coming out of the dust of the earth. Right. But there's a judgment. Some to everlasting life, and some, some not. to everlasting contempt. Right, that that judgment that all people go through. Right. Yes. You, you know, I again Revelation twenty verse eleven fifteen. Oh. We can read it, and Isaiah says this. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Oh. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Isaiah twenty six verse wow. nineteen. Wow. There, there are so many great passages that, wow. that, that speak of this. No, wow. it's great. Um, I want to quote once again um, uh, from the book that you mentioned, mm-hmm. our, our Fathers Who Aren't in Heaven. Here's a great quote. Such a sassy title. It is a good title. <laughs> I like that. What Satan achieved in the early centuries was the suppression of the biblical doctrine of man as needing immortality through resurrection when the Messiah arrived to establish the kingdom. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. This would be a gift from his maker. The biblical teaching was made to appear nonsensical, if as if the Greeks thought man was already by nature immortal. The new system of thought taught that Christians a Christian goal was survival as a disembodied soul in heaven rather than participation in the messianic kingdom on earth. Well, and there's that deception that no, huge I, it, deception. it is. And so you you have to we've have we gotten so far gary it's just like we find these kinds of things over and over again um the bible says one thing and after all these thousands of years we've come to believe something else right and we've existed for many years in this I guess we haven't noticed. I, me included, I didn't notice this that this was we not fitting. Remember at the beginning, I said fitting a square peg into a round hole. I didn't notice that's what was I was trying to do. Right. And, it, it, well, you don't. You don't. You have to stop and think and examine. If you just repeat it over the, right. over the course you, of centuries. And, and you know what's helpful to me? I'm going to say it again, Gary. I have to learn some of the history, some of the, um, you know, ancient Greek history, some philosophical ideas. Where did they come in? How did they filter in um, to Christianity? That's very helpful to me. It it really is. This is a good place to mention our conversation um, about a week ago. We were talking about this idea of, of do we need just the Bible or do we need more? And, And my answer to you was this, is that the Hebrew Bible, is should be the only thing we need to understand all truth. But what that Hebrew Bible, that he, the words of the Hebrew and the culture and everything, got buried. It got buried over the last two thousand years by doctrine, by 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 distorted history, by by just 
things that we we have accepted as real and then you you start digging through that rubble and realize no wait a minute this came from pagan thought this came from religious thought this came you know from a, a you know a, a but sometimes from you the, don't know where it came from by reading the bible right like i didn't that's know the point. i didn't know about the pagan origins of christmas from just reading the bible exactly that right? is exactly my point is right. that we need to dig so i think i answered the, the question you asked me do i need more than the bible right now i need a shovel and a bible <laughs> to dig through all the rubble of the history that is this that led us astray, once we get to that Bible, that Hebrew, the, in, in its proper context, that's all we need. But until we find out that, you know, get, that get rid of all of the, the garbage, the rubble that was, has buried and, 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 and hidden the true message, then, then we need some other tools. I love the imagery of that, <laughs> holding up the Bible and your shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the imagery hey, of you that. You know what shovels are used for? <laughs> exactly, too. exactly. You know, sometimes when you start asking questions, you don't always get solid answers, and you, you, sometimes you get more questions. So when I started asking about the message of the gospel, then I wanted to know more about the kingdom of God, and looking at the idea of the kingdom of God coming to earth, then I wanted to know more about the idea of dying and going to heaven. And as I've been on this journey back to the true roots of my faith, I've had to uncover layers and layers, like Gary just said, of confusion caused by the separation of Christianity from its Hebraic roots. We've often said that Christianity was born in divorce of Judaism, most notably during the third century after Yeshua walked the earth during the time of the great Roman emperor Constantine. The rise of this new Christian faith benefited greatly from the legitimacy that it gained by its ties to the ancient biblical faith of the Jewish forefathers. Yet, at the same time, this Constantinian faith, I'll call it that, worked quickly and diligently to jettison all things that were considered Hebraic or Jewish. In doing so, it left great voids that had to be filled, and unfortunately, these voids were often filled with non-biblical, non-Hebraic, anti-God ideas even. If the true gospel message is repent and rep prepare for the God's kingdom on earth, when this message is discarded, something has to take its place. Thus we have get saved and ensure your ticket to heaven. It sounds like a good message. It seems plausible in human minds, but that doesn't make it true. But the reality is that as good as it sounds that all believers are going to heaven when they die, I'm 100% confident that God's real plan is better. Join us next time as we delve into what the Bible does say happens when we die. Let's recover the glorious hope of our future resurrection and the promise to rule and reign with our Messiah in his earthly kingdom. Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.